We're going to talk about uh, some of the articles that are on TruthScript today. One in particular, actually. Um, I want to show you this before we introduce our guest. But uh, for those who haven't seen what's going on with uh, TruthScript, um, it's pretty cool. This is the website, and it, it looks fantastic. Uh, it's as many of you know, we were trying to come up with something that would be similar to what the Gospel Coalition does, but you know, for people who are more orthodox in their theology. And, uh, and, and so we have a, an article right there uh, right now about pastoring in a small town by Pastor John Goodell. Um, but we had a particular article uh, from last week that I wanted to highlight called The Surprising Legacy of Biblical Fundamentalism. And many people have gotten back to me and, and told me this has been a really helpful article, especially in light of there's a documentary. I haven't seen it, but uh, about the Duggars and I guess in the documentary, they're trying to paint them as fundamentalists and uh, the group that they were part of. And and this is all fundamentalists. And so anyway, Dr. Uh, Richard Vargas from the uh, IFCA wrote a, an excellent article for us um, about the history of fundamentalism. What is American fundamentalism? Um, what significant contributions has it made? Are they all negative or actually are they positive? And I think in defining it, um, we're just going to realize that a lot of what we've been told by the media uh, is not exactly correct. So with that, uh, I want to just welcome onto the podcast, Dr. Richard Vargas, once again, thank you for being willing to discuss this and answer questions. Yeah, thanks, John. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So b before we get into the topic, I want to plug the um, IFCA stuff. I know there's a convention uh, that you guys have coming up. Um, where can people go to register for that? What are some of the details that they can expect? Sure. Um, so if you went on our website, ifca.org, uh, you'll find there's some banners or there's some big buttons there. You can click on it. It'll take you to the uh, convention website and that will allow you to register. It'll give you all the information, who the speakers are. Um, we have, I think, something like 30 seminars, breakout sem sessions. We've got Q&As. We've got theological panels um, and we've got a, a whole host of things. And it's not just for pastors or for people that are Christian workers. It's for anybody in the church, anybody that's wanting to grow and uh, help them understand not just fundamentalism, but all kinds of biblical themes that'll be uh, offered there. Uh, we are really, really packed this year, and so we don't have any room blocks left, but if you go on and register for the convention, you can uh, get a hotel somewhere else, stay with some friends, maybe you're local, and uh, you can come to the event. And uh, there's also a women's conference that's tied into it. It's the same price, there's no separate registration. So if you're a lady, you can come you can join just the special thing for the ladies. They've got uh, Lisa Hughes, Pastor Jack Hughes's wife. He's out in Louisville. And um, you can come to that as well as go to the other things that are open to both men and women. So there's uh, something for everybody in the family. There's children's programs and things like that. So yeah, ifca.org and you can register there. All right. Sounds exciting. I know my parents are going to be there. So and, yeah, uh, yeah. and they're seeing the Ark, I think, and the Creation yeah. Museum because it's not far. And so yeah. um, anyway. Uh, so uh, let's talk about fundamentalism a little bit, and I'll start here. You are the president of, what, of the IFCA International, uh, and that used to stand for Independent Fundamental Churches of America. Now that it's international, I guess it, it, it doesn't stand for because it's not limited to America. But but right. that's uh, that's kind of a controversial thing now to be mm -hmm. tied in with the, that label. Um, when the IFCA formed, was that a controversial label? Or is it, have, has it become controversial over time? Well, I think because it was born out of the controversy of, uh, there were progressives back then. They were, we'd call them liberals also, but they called themselves modernists back then. And because modernism was devastating the American church, um, out of that controversy, we were labeled, that's how names often are given, is your, you know, your opponent gives you the name. And we were given the name fundamentalists. Um, because of our uh, refusal to deny the fundamentals of the faith. And so um, it wasn't controversial in the way that it is now. Uh, back then, everybody kind of circled around, well, do you believe or deny these things? And of course, if you were a modernist, then you were kind of mocking at those that still believe that uh, Jonah was swallowed by a whale or that Daniel was thrown in a lion's den and uh, that Jesus really walked on water and there really are demons and he was really born of a virgin. All those things that, you know, um, Orthodox Christianity has always accepted. Uh, modern Christians would say, no, th those things are not true. And so in a sense, they would, would mock fundamentalists for those things. 
But what we have today is different because from those original streams started to separate into uh, kind of cultural forms of fundamentalism that left the emphasis on the uh, orthodox fundamentals of the faith and began to emphasize different things, uh, whether it was cultural things like uh, length of hair on women and skirts or versus pants or whether you had a drum set or, or certain lifestyles, um, teetotaling and all these things. Now, some of that was mixed in early on, but it really wasn't the central uh, point of fundamentalism. So now well, when people, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that some of that sounds like it's uh, almost a leftover from prohibitionism and some of the reform movements of the late 19th century that that might were just part of that era. And the social gospel guys were also in swimming in that. Yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of mixture. So like um, I stayed in the in the article on your website is that, you know, got guys like Jay Gresham Machen, who, you know, he's he's not a drunkard, but he's drinking alcohol. You've okay. got him, you know, he's he's smoking tobacco, um, you know, and, and so for a independent Baptist fundamentalist, he'd probably look at that and go, those those are not those are not things that a man of God would do. And of course, Machen was a man of God. You, you can't argue from that point. So we look at the scripture as biblical fundamentalists and say, what does the scripture say? Um, but those cultural things kind of attached to the idea of what it means to be a fundamentalist. And it caused some schisms. Some said, like Machen, I don't want to be identified as a fundamentalist because of these weird hangovers that really aren't connected to the true fight that we should be fighting. And uh, then, then as this isolationism and this splitting and division continued on of separation from, instead of separation from the apostates, it's separation from those that don't think and act on all these secondary tertiary and, and even things that you should never fight about because of that separation, which is a misapplication of the biblical idea. Um, th there was a fracturing that's really unrecognizable anymore and, uh, you know, you've got people that will deny others are fundamentalists, not by what they believe, but mm. by the some of the cultural things that they do or don't do and say, well, you're not a fundamentalist because you do have that. a guitar in your church or. Right. Right. Yeah. OK. Or you don't use the King James Bible only exclusively or, you know, whatever. Um, so th that that's far from where everything started. There was much more unity at its headwaters, but now that everything has been divided so much, um, to be called a fundamentalist is really intended to be you're a uh, obscurantist, you're you're uh, an outsider, you're really you're you're a barefooted, you know, knuckle dragging caveman of a Christian, and we really don't want to identify with you. Um, and and there's a lot behind that, but and some of it is <laughs> unfortunately some of it's fair in in, in the way that it's uh, some, you can find fundamentalists that will fit that caricature. But that's like I put in the article, it, it, it's not monolithic. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be careful when we think about fundamentalists, that we think about them in the category they belong. A cultural fundamentalist and a biblical fundamentalist may look very, very different. They may agree on a lot of things, but they may very much look different. Their churches might look different and they may put greater emphasis on other things. Um, but that doesn't mean that they are in disagreement on the fundamentals of the faith. But you may not know that because you can't get past the fact that uh, in their mind, certain things are more important. And so they've stopped fighting the good fight. They're just fighting. And, and that's yeah. not healthy. Yeah. There, there's a comment that just came in from Conceptual Clarities uh, saying, we need to get creative and come up with new terms, especially if the term evangelical is taken over permanently by Russell Moore, Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, creeping towards apostasy types. And, uh, you know, that's a good point, I think. Like, uh, it, it, you don't escape all of this by labeling, labeling yourself an evangelical uh, or, or as yeah. Christian nationalists are finding out, you don't like no matter what word you choose, however new or innovative you want to be, it, immediately it's going to become a pejorative if it disagrees with the spirit of the age. So right. um, so fundamentalist is, is an older term, but yeah. uh, even if you come up with a newer term, it seems like the same thing happens. So, yeah, um, I think I think fundamentalism finds its its roots in evangelicalism. All evangelicals were fundamentalists, all of them. That's the reason why the early fundamentalists called the movement that we have now neo evangelicalism, because the original right. evangelicalism was what the scriptures describes those that are gospel focused and doing what Jesus calls us to do. 
And then as they began to seek to appease the apostates, they really became neo-evangelicals um, seeking to broaden their reach by compromise. And so now you have really three groups. You've got apostates, you've got fundamentalists, and in that muddy middle, you've got neo-evangelicals. And so the, the name evangelical was immediately lost when there was a split because the difference between an old evangelical and an old fundamentalist is that an old evangelical was less likely willing to split, to separate from apostates. And as that became more and more muddy, they also began to compromise. It began to make things less clear. And, and you could look back, you could find the early Billy Graham crusades where he begins inviting onto the stage uh, Roman Catholics and straight up liberal apostates. And right. he was trying to broaden his reach and hoping that somehow that would get the gospel out. He wasn't evangelical. He was a neo-evangelical, right. but he had come out of fundamentalism. Yeah, it and, sounds uh, like the Puritan uh, separatist kind of debate almost. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, when you read like Carl Henry's Uneasy Conscience of Modern Fundamentalism mm -hmm. and, and Harold Ockinga wrote the foreword for that, I, I think they use that term neo-evangelicalism, if I'm not mistaken, in the book to label themselves. And, and right. they seem to be reacting against this associationalism, like uh, legalism, kind of, kind of bunker mentality that we're not going to be involved in culture. And they, and they want to say, well, no, let, let's create institutions that will produce the best Christian pastors who know psychology and who know yeah. social issues. I, I did a study on this a, a while ago and, and I was looking at like a Fuller Theologicals catalog from like 1950 through 1970. And you could see in, in the courses they offered how many more social justice type things were added over the mm -hmm. years. Um, and I think this was all an attempt to try to gain some kind of a footing that was lost with the mm -hmm. culture and um, and the fundamentalists seem to me like they and, and I don't know if this is biblical, cultural or both, but they seem like they, they weren't really interested in trying to curry favor. Is that an accurate uh, look at, at the history yeah. there? Yeah. And, and I think it's uh, they were not appealing to academia. Uh, and that's what you had with Fuller and, and, and Christianity Today and Wheaton College. You had all of these institutions that were really started to um, engage the culture, which I don't think is bad, but the early fundamentalists saw the danger. They saw that as a very slippery slope, and they recognized that there is no way that the world will ever accept you on its terms. You have to succumb to their terms for them to accept you. The, the early fundamentalists that became the neo-evangelicals, neo Fuller was established by fundamentalists, but from a starting point where they said, we're going to appeal now to the broader-minded Christian who can still have his doctrine and yet can still appeal to the academy. Well, it didn't work. It, it utterly failed. Um, they actually have a history um, that Fuller has, has contributed quite a bit to, and when you read it, uh, they're quite proud of the fact that it shows their, their slide into apostasy. I mean, it's very open. And I think that that's the danger. And the early fundamentalists warned about that. They said, this is not going to work. And of course, they were labeled, again, as closed-minded and unwilling to engage. Um, I think fundamentalism also, uh, has to engage but I don't think it engages the way that they engaged. We engage with the world, with the gospel. We go forward with the truth. We, uh, you know, as scripture tells us, we're going to pull down these uh, philosophical strongholds, but we're not going to buddy up next to them and say, hey, can we sit at the table and talk as equals? Uh, Fuller figured out, or I don't know if they ever figured it out, but we all can see it from our side of history, is that when they thought that that would work, it failed. It utterly failed. Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally see that. Actually, uh, Truddle in the chat right now just says, listening to Machen's Christianity and Liberalism now, scary predictive. And I think anyone who's read that uh, sees the same thing, that everything he talked about has come to pass. And yeah. and the, the consequences that he warned about uh, are happening before us. And and it and now it's happening in the more neo-evangelical circles. It, it, the same mm -hmm. kind of apostasy that a, you know, a century ago is happening in these mainline uh, denominations. Um let, let's get maybe sequentially go through this a little bit. Let's start at the beginning. The term fundamentalist, the, like the, mm -hmm. the, the, the term, was that coined by some? Do we know who coined that? Was that 
like I, I know you have R.A. Tory and the, and the fundamentals. Is that where that term yeah. came from? No, it, it was actually coined by somebody else. And I can't remember right now who it was. But yeah, it, it wasn't. It, but it was applied there. And I think it was it was kind of a mixture. You know, when a lot of things begin, sometimes it's hard to pin down where is the actual beginning. So in the history of fundamentalism, there's there's a lot of uh, uncertainty about where certain things began. There's a, a question about how many fundamentals are there. Some name five, some say seven. Um, about you know where its strongholds were and things like that. Um, and, and I'm not a, a historical expert on fundamentalism. Uh, I have read it and studied it, but I, I'm not. I wouldn't consider myself an expert, so I couldn't couldn't tell you that. But I I can tell you that it really wasn't something that was from the very beginning. Uh, like the we think of the Puritans as a positive thing, but when right. they were labeled as Puritans, that was a very negative thing. I don't know that it bothered them like fundamentalists doesn't bother me. Right. Uh, it's a it's kind of a badge of honor, but I think it was applied to us in a mocking way. Interesting. So, so it may have been a pejorative then almost out of the gate, like, a, a almost like Christian is right. Like that was little right. Christ. And then they just took it right. or, or you could think in a modern political context, deplorable, like we're called, yeah. you know, deplorables for not voting a certain way, but then we take that as a badge of honor. So yeah. Um, okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that about the term fundamentalism. I, I always thought it was a very positive term that was supposed to be uh, developed for specifically fighting against modernism. But um, but the fundamentals, obviously, they took that label and they put that on mm -hmm. the, I, I guess, the original founding piece of, of literature. Uh, and and what are what do the fundamentals teach? I mean, is that mostly that's biblical fundamentalism, right? There's no cultural Absolutely. stuff in that. Yeah. No, there isn't. As a matter of fact, if you were to take a look at, you know, you can still buy the fundamentals usually in one volume. When they first came out, they were little booklets. We actually have a, an old set. They're like super fragile, but we have an old set here at IFCA. And uh, if you were to flip through there, you would find people that predate the fundamentalist controversy, but were fundamentalists in their own day. And they're from a wide range of uh, backgrounds. So you've got like um, J.C. Ryle in there, who was a low church Anglican, you'll find, uh, you know, evangelical Methodists, evangelical Presbyterians, you'd find evangelical Baptists, you find evangelical, uh, evangelical Congregationalists. So they're from a wide range of Christian backgrounds. And uh, what that shows us is they all agreed that these things are what Christianity is. So going back to Machen's book on Christianity and liberalism, they recognized um, as a whole, when all these were put together, as they wrote about the virgin birth, as they wrote about miracles, as they wrote about the atoning work of Christ, as they wrote about um, all of these things, you know, inerrancy of scripture, they saw it from different angles. They examined it in different ways and defended it. Uh, they understood that this is a statement of what Christianity is at its core. Um, they weren't stripping it down to the bare minimums. They were saying, um, these things are complex and we can look at them from different ways, but we have to have these things. Otherwise, like Machen said, we have a whole different religion. If you take these things away, then this is not Christianity anymore. This is another religion, a false religion. So the, the fundamentals really are just the core. And, and you know, interestingly enough, uh, an organization like ours really puts that as the center. We are fundamentalists, not because we inspect what kind of music you sing on a Sunday or what Bible translation you use. We don't actually look at that. That's not part of our process is do you believe these core doctrines? And then there's some secondary ones that we also look at because the reality is to fellowship with other churches, even if you're fundamental in your beliefs, you still have to function in some ways. So although Machen was a fundamentalist, Machen also was Presbyterian. We're not Presbyterian, we're Baptistic. So right. we would have some problems with some of the ways that he would have worshiped and some of the doctrines that he would have held to. And he would have held the same problems with us as uh, as more Baptists. So we don't, and we don't besmirch him for that. We get it. Everybody's got their own thing for these secondary issues. But what we do agree with and what, what makes us comrades in arms and what makes us ready to fight with one another for the good of the cause of Christ is the fundamentals is, right. is Machen and, and Packer and uh, whoever it is that is um, centralized on these things. They are the true church of Jesus Christ. 
And if they deny those central tenets of the faith, then they are not Christians. And that's not a popular thing to say today. Nobody wants to call right. out the chosen and its Mormon influences or the denial of inerrancy amongst the scholars who say, well, you know, we just redefine these things. And fundamentalists are separate from evangelicals because they're willing to call it out and say, this is wrong. This is unbiblical. Yeah. This is apostasy. And you need to turn from this and return to Christ. Yeah. Yeah, there's a certain boldness to, to it. Uh, one of the uh, folks in chat uh, says, we've got a name already, Christ. That's the name we are fighting to define. And, and, and I thought this was a good question to ask. You know, why not just call themselves Christians? Say, they, well, these guys, you know, clearly uh, the, the pro-Darwin and higher criticism and all these threats that are threatening our religion, uh, Christianity. Why don't we just say that they're not Christians and we're Christians, right? right. Uh, why not just go with, with that age-old yeah. characterization? Um, why take the label fundamentalist or some other label? What, what would you say to that? Yeah, in a perfect world, I'd just like, like to be labeled a Christian. Right. But we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a world where there is an enemy, Satan, who disguises himself as an angel of light. And because he disguises himself, he has no problem with deception in labeling uh, the, the deceptions that he puts out there, all of these false religions that call themselves Christian also, so that now there's confusion in the world. So that when a Mormon comes up to your door and he knocks and you ask him, well, we're Christians, they will say, oh, we're Christians too. When a Jehovah's Witness comes up, they will not deny these things uh, at on the surface level. They will say things that are in, in great agreement. And then you'll find that there are other cults that will do the same thing. Within liberal, I mean, just the name, they don't call themselves liberals, they call themselves liberal Christians. And so um, down the street from my house, there is a congregational church that uh, for a while there had an electronic sign that had a rainbow flag in it. Um, now they've replaced the, the, the sign with a, a section that's permanently a rainbow flag. It's not even electronic anymore. Right. It's just built into the sign. Uh, I've been to extremely liberal churches where that's part of their identity. And in doing that, they're denying specifics of what the scriptures say. Right. And so, and, but they all call themselves Christian. So yeah, I, I would say at our core, we are Christian, but we are truly Christian. And I don't mean that in an exclusive sense, in the sense that only IFCA members are Christians. <laughs> right. I don't mean that by any means, that's cultish. But what I do mean is you have to subscribe to the basics of what Christianity says to be a Christian. You know, if you were any other religion and you denied one of the main tenets of their faith, like if I was a Muslim and I said, I believe everything that Islam teaches, except I don't believe that Muhammad was the prophet. <laughs> well, I'm not a Muslim. Yeah. I'm not yeah. a Muslim. Uh, yeah. You know, you could call me a liberal Muslim, but in, in all reality, I'm not a Muslim. So this is what it is, is we have people claiming to be Christians that are not because they deny the basics of the faith. And uh, okay. we would say no. Okay, so let me ask you this, because I've uh, grown up, I guess, somewhat in these circles. The church I go to is an IFCA church. And uh, so I've when traveling, um, often go to an IFCA church and, um, or it might not even be IFCA, but, but I know, I know it when I see it, right? Like I walk in mm -hmm. and I see an American flag on one side. I see a Christian flag on the other side. Uh, the, the music tends to be more traditional. People dress up a little bit more perhaps than in like, let's say a Calvary chapel setting or something. Um, there's going to there seems to be an emphasis on um, I don't know. I don't want to say emphasis, but there's there's more patriotism, perhaps. Maybe there's something they do for Fourth of July at the church. Um, there are these cultural things that some that seem to parallel. And of course, the more, I guess, extreme, if you want to say that, I don't know if I want to use that word because the media uses it so much, but I don't know what else to use. But in, in certain cases, there's uh, some of the legalism you described about length of skirts and going to movie theaters and. Um, and, and I'm just wondering if, if for people out there who are saying that's the image that I have in my head and I don't think I'm crazy. Like I've, I've, I grew up, let's say in a church that's like that. And, and, and they believe all the core tenants you're talking about, but they also, they, they give the impression perhaps you're not a Christian if you don't, uh, or if you, if you, uh, if you go gamble or something, you must not be a Christian anymore. You lost your salvation or something. And there, there, right. there there's a, like a, a legalism that comes in or, or, a an associationalism that, well, you uh, are connected to this person who's connected to this person who's connected to this person. Therefore, we we have to cut off fellowship. Um, 
you mentioned that at the beginning, but I was hoping maybe you could go further into the differences between the biblical and, and, and maybe scope out also, like, what does a biblical um, fundamentalist church look like? Does it have to have just piano music, right? Yeah. Well, I think that, well, first of all, to be fair, uh, every church is in a cultural setting. And so if you go to a Southern church, you're going to get some Southern flavors that are going to be part of it. If you're going to go to a Northern church, you're going to get some flavors that are Northern. If you go to a Southwestern church, you know, they may be wearing bolo ties instead of wearing a, a silk, you know, tie that you might wear in the East coast. Um, and if you go to California, like you mentioned, Calvary Chapel, they may not be wearing pants. They may be wearing shorts and ah, Hawaiian true. shirt, right? Uh, yeah. those, are, those are the cultural trappings. And sometimes it's an internal church culture, uh, oftentimes uh, spearheaded by the pastor that's there. And it may not reflect their doctrine. It may just reflect just the unique um, way that this church expresses itself. Now, they may go further and they may say this is biblical. And if you don't come to church wearing a three-piece suit, um, then you're, you're uh, you know, not being, you're not loving God, you're not, you know, showing your best or whatever, and they're more concerned about the externals. Then uh, for IFCA churches, for the most part, now they're all independent, and I can't speak for every one of them, but I have, I have been to a lot of them, and I have experienced a lot of the good godly men that pastor them, is that they're more focused on what does the scriptures teach? We we want to get to the heart of the worshiper. We want to uh, focus on what the scriptures teach, and so that means that for the most part, they're Bible teaching churches. Now, you'll notice that in a lot of these cultural fundamentalist churches, the ones that are emphasizing all these things, they're usually preaching topically, which allows you to hop around to all of your hobby horse, you know, ideas. So you can be banging on whatever your thing is, uh, how about, you know, certain, you know, individuals, I, I know there's some independent fundamental Baptists who just always haranguing on the translation of the Bible or people right. they don't like, like John MacArthur or doctrines they don't like, like Calvinism, you know, it's like, it's like every week there's a new person or thing to complain about basically. And then you just pick you know, cherry pick the scriptures to the fit the way you like it. So that's like customizing your own culture uh, and abusing the scriptures in a way that it's not intended to be. Uh, and, and more biblical fundamentalist churches, they're going to actually be teaching expositionally through the word, not that they can't teach topically, but the natural flow of the text is going to explain things. And so people are going to understand the Bible. They're going to know what it teaches. And that's going to give them biblical principles on how their life should interact with what they read and study in scriptures. So they're going to come to sections where they may be convicted that in their culture, like Southern California, that as they're reading about maybe uh, the issue of uh, people, not, not just women, but people being modest, dressed modestly, they're thinking, huh, well, maybe this mini skirt isn't a good choice for me in life, not just church. And so we're working through the Holy Spirit and the word to convict the heart so that the heart addresses the issue in my life. And that takes time. Uh, that, that isn't just a set of rules. Uh, cultural fundamentalism just wants to put up fences and fences and fences so that you don't get anywhere near the sin that they're worried about. And it's very selective on which sins they're worried about. Um, but biblical fundamentalism says we don't need the fences because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the word. And as God leads us through the teaching of the word and the application of the spirit, we will move away from the things that are not holy into holiness as the Lord leads us. And of course, that means evangelism and discipleship is taking place in the church. It's a healthy church. We're not only sharing Christ with people, but we're also helping them to grow to maturity. So there has to be patience. There has to be teaching. There has to be application. There has to be follow-up and, and working with people, being patient with each other. This is very much New Testament church. And so when the Bible and the worship of God is the center of the church, then some of the concerns that maybe the cultural fundamentalist is overly concerned about will be addressed naturally. Um, some of them won't because they really aren't biblical issues. So you're not going to find any passages in the scriptures that say don't use a drum set. You're going to find the, that this is the devil's beat inside of uh, your Bible. <laughs> it's not there. Or that you can right. only see him, uh, sing hymns or, you know, revivalistic hymns 
Um, some of them have horrible theology written into them, and but yet they're old, so they're better. None of that stuff is there. So you won't really find that in, in a Bible church that's a biblically fundamental church. You will find commitment to the scriptures. And they will they will reform according to the scriptures. So as they find that they are not in alignment, then the church needs to change. And that may be internal organization of that church as well. When they find that they've been in sin, they will address it as they should in sin, and they will repent, and they will correct it, and they will seek to follow the Lord in all things. That's, that's the model. Now, it's not always perfect, and not everybody does it the same way. But that's what scriptures teach. And if you're going to be a biblical fundamentalist and be committed to the word, then that's going to give you a, a, you know, a spine of steel when you deal with the culture, because the culture is calling us out about all these things they don't agree with. We're not going to back down. At the same time, you know, judgment really begins with the household of God. And, and so we look at ourselves and go, where are we not living what scripture calls us to live? And we need to we need to change those things and work on them so that we're a a, a light a, a testimony in the darkness instead of bringing shame to the name of Christ. So, so that so, that doesn't really deal with those kind of external things, but it, it really does as it starts to seep into the whole life of the church. No, that's helpful. Uh, I think what you said about putting fences, particularly because uh, because the, the fundamentalists seem to be putting up a fence that was a biblical fence. It was the it was the fence right. that's already embedded in the scripture, and then. It, so, so is, is what happened historically that certain groups that were originally, yeah, we should build a fence. They just decided, well, let's keep building fences. <laughs> let's just yeah. build more and more and more. And, um, and and so now you get to a point where Jacob Yates just commented and said, um, there's certain, I guess, uh, independent fundamental Baptist groups that are teaching blatant modalism and Pelagianism, yet they want to be known as fundamentalists so that they've lost some of this doctrine but they're keeping some of the cultural trappings from let's say 1920. Right, and, uh, right. and, and so they think they, they, they're still fundamentalist. Um, is that, is that what you think happened or, or is it that the media or maybe both that came in and just started equating the two in people's minds? No, because the, the media doesn't really think about the theological issues that are involved. They only think about the cultural stuff. Um, right. I think for churches that, you know, first of all, fundamentalism, the stream that has moved predominantly in. So there's a split that happens where fundamentalists that wanted to engage uh, the scriptures academically, they wanted to learn it. They wanted Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. They wanted archaeology. They wanted to know it well. They, they unfortunately started to veer towards the positive side that would accept them, which was neo-evangelicalism. And so as you start doing that, you start almost emptying the fundamentalist camp of the academic side of the study of scripture. And so you have also the rising up of Bible institutes. Remember, all of the liberals took over the, the all of the, the uh, seminaries for the most part. And so you have Princeton, Yale, and all these schools that are lost. That's why Machen had to start up Westminster. So you have the loss of the academy and it has to be rebuilt. Well, popular fundamentalism was built at a grassroots level. As it raised up leaders, it did it through the Bible Institute, which wasn't always as right. rigorous in the academy. So you end up with a whole swath of fundamentalist churches that are pastored by men who haven't had the best training. They're doing the best they can, but they don't see distinctions. They don't understand issues like Pelagianism and, and what does that mean? And they're introducing things because of their own ignorance, not intentionally, but I mean, I've read lots of doctrinal statements and, you know, their Trinitarian statement is modalistic. They don't even realize it's modalistic. If you would tell them that they wouldn't even know what to think. They don't have a category for this because they're they're almost inept in their theology in some areas. Now, that's not all. And I want to make a blanket statement because there are good, godly, hardworking pastors there that didn't have a lot of training, but they're faithful. Right. So what do you have in, in a situation like uh, what's going on with the the IFB, I guess. I'm not aware of this, so I'm, I'm not going to speak to that specific. Sure. But I, I do know that what we also have to be aware of is that when fundamentalism uh, split in this area of academia, that we need to go back to that area. We need to, and we do have, a, we have a good selection of men that are very, very well trained and are now investing in training others and others. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are culturally conservative. 
but they're apostate cult. Right. And so if, if a church moves in that direction, then they're not fundamentalists still. They're, they're not. They're apostate. If they adopt apostate doctrine, then they're an apostate church. Um, yeah. And so uh, if, if an individual IFB church has adopted uh, Pelagian as a full-blown Pelagian, as there's a lot of semi-Pelagians around uh, the Christian church, that's not good. But, you know, we, we work with those brothers to try to help them to see and understand what the scriptures teach. But if they're just adopting it, maybe they're intentionally adopting those things, then they're no longer Christian church. They're, they're an apostate church that has left the true faith. And they're not fundamentalists. Um, yeah. No, that's, so that's I, all very helpful. Yeah. Um, and interesting to me, too. I mean, I, I would be curious. Um, well, let's let's get to this. There's a question first. I want to talk about the culture stuff really quick. But Michael Clark okay. says, explain the difference between IFCA and IFB and NIFB. And I'll confess, I don't even know what NIFB is. I hope you do. <laughs> I don't. Uh, so, you don't know. OK, so I don't know I, what it is. we can't answer this question. Sorry, Michael. So, Michael, yeah. if you could if you could write in um, what, what N- NIFB, NIFB is. Yeah. Yeah. But um, IFCA um, and IFB are similar doctrinally. I think that there would probably be, for the most part, very similar in their uh, their basic understanding of the in the um, independence of the church, the need for believers, baptism, things like that as well as the doctrines that we're talking about that are the fundamentals of the faith. There is a lot of shades of difference between groups because um, there is emphases, and that's just a natural outcome, partly of the history, partly of the men that are leading it. And so the IFB are good brothers. We wouldn't, other than those that were mentioned earlier that are apostate, <laughs> but but in, in general, the IFB are good brothers, and we wouldn't want to disperse their character at all. But they might emphasize certain things that we wouldn't, or as strongly, they might emphasize a little more strongly than we would. And um, from my understanding of my interaction with men that have histories in the IFB, I don't, um, their emphasis would be somewhat on the tenor and spirit at times, where things are a little little harder, a little more rancorous at times in in disagreements. Um, And also it would probably be on the level of of the seriousness of separation and when that needs to take place. Now that's a judgment call and we may all all get it wrong at times where we're just ready to hack people off. There may be some deeper issues, but I don't know of any of those things. Okay. I'm just looking at what the official IFB would say and what we would say. And I've got friends that have overlapped in both groups. Some that have come over from the IFB and have joined IFCA. What they have told me is that, you know, Things like styles of music um, are, are a big thing for IFB uh, churches. We we say it should be biblical. Uh, it needs to be doctrinally rich, but we aren't going to tell you there's a certain beat that's not acceptable or a, a genre that's not acceptable, that it has to be a certain type of music. We wouldn't make that statement. We'd say, does it glorify and honor the Lord? And, and then we'd leave it at the conscience level of the individual. We'd also say, since they're independent churches, that's an independent church decision that they need to make. And so we would kind of keep our hands off, whereas the IFB, um, if my understanding is correct, and I'd be open to correction, if they have a stronger stand, okay, that's legit. Yeah. You can do that because you join the IFB uh, willingly. You, you, you take this identity on as this is what I want to be, and that's fine. I think the problem comes when we start you know, slinging arrows at each other Right. When we're not the enemy, the IFB is not our enemy. Satan's our enemy. And I hope we're not the enemy for the IFB. Satan is the enemy. He is the deceiver. He is the one that's bringing destruction and wreaking havoc in the church and out in the world. And so since we've got so many things to deal with, I'm not bothering with criticizing my brothers in the IFB or or the NIFB, whatever that ends up being. Oh, I Um, found out what it is. It's new independent fundamentalist Baptist Steve Anderson. I don't know. I'm not... I think Steven Anderson yeah. is out in Arizona. Okay, you know who he is. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know the name. I've seen it, but I don't. I don't really know. And I think it would probably K- be KJV. In, in K- yeah. Yeah. KJV only. I'm. I'm pretty sure is the issue. Yeah. There, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. And but, and for uh, me, the problem with yeah. with KJV onlyism isn't isn't that I won't fellowship with my KJV only brothers. It's that my KJV only brothers won't fellowship with me. <laughs> they won't fellowship I, with I you. That's a, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with the King James Bible. I don't use it personally. But uh, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't let you in because you don't use my particular 
brand. I mean, you can use whatever you want. And it's that it's that we we choose to separate over this issue. Well, I think the Bible is an issue, inerrancy, infallibility, all those things are issues. But your translation, I, I don't see that in scripture. I don't see that that's the issue. So those that separate right. over that, we would differ with them and say, no, you can be in the IFCA and use the King James. It can be King James preferred. But when you start splitting from your brothers for yeah. an issue like that, then yeah. then that's that's the divisiveness that I don't think is from God. Well, I think you're dispelling myths here uh, that people have in their minds, just even saying that you don't want to fight with your brothers. I mean, that's uh, that's a hallmark in some people's minds of what uh, being fundamentalist is. And, that, and that's totally opposite of what you're saying here. Um, I, I wanted to just in the last few minutes ask you if, if uh, about the media particularly. And I don't know that at the IFCA if you guys get a lot of media requests or not. I don't know if you're if, if it's uh, prominent enough to, to to or but but the media tends to want to focus on these groups that they can find something on to, and then they they they'll even talk about um, sometimes Muslims as fundamentalists and like right. you know what are they talking about because this is a Christian term I thought that was as you said uh, explaining mm -hmm. these these originally these biblical categories and then you have these these cultural fundamentalism but now the net is so wide. It almost seems like a good definition would be anyone the media doesn't like who happens to be religious. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, I think that probably some of that. But I think the origin of uh, Islamic fundamentalism is that they took the term from Christianity, applied it to fundamentalists, because in and I and you can find this in other religions as well, is that you find that in Christianity, fundamentalist Christians believe what their book says. We believe what the Bible says. We don't apologize. We don't make excuses for it. We believe it. And so we believe that Jonah was swallowed by a large fish. We do believe that Jesus did walk on water. We do believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. And they would see that as fanciful. They would see that as mythical and that we're ignorant for that. Well, they would take that same idea and apply it to Islamic fundamentalists. And they would say, these are the radicals because they believe what the Quran says. And because the Quran says these things, um, you know, death to the infidel, they go about carrying this stuff out. Yeah, they're crazy. They believe what the Quran says. Well, that's true. There are some that do that. They believe it. And then you don't normally have them called liberal Muslims, but liberal Muslims are the ones that come on the TV after some terrorist attack has happened and they mollify everybody and say, calm down. We don't all believe that. We don't all believe what, what you know, was written in the in the book, we we think that they're misinterpreting. They're taking it woodenly and literally. They are fundamentalists, and we aren't one of them. And and that's what you have today in Christianity as well. Is that those liberals will come alongside and say, we don't believe that uh, homosexuality is wrong. We don't believe that abortion is wrong. We don't believe those things. These guys are taking it woodenly, and since they're so literal, they're obviously ignorant because the Bible doesn't say that. You know, you've I seen see. the latest argument, homosexuality wasn't even in the Bible translations until uh, like oh, right. what the date is, 19, the 1800s or something. Yeah. So what, but, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're fools for believing that it's a sin because early Christians really didn't believe that. Um, they're trying to change and rewrite history and doing it from different angles. So I think that when fundamentalists is attached to Islam, it's attached there because there are some who are taking what? Uh, you know, was written there in the Quran seriously, and then following it. Uh, there's there's fundamentalist Mormons as well, right? And what do they do? They go back to the original doctrines of Joseph Smith, and they say polygamy is something we should do. Of course, modern day Mormons would say, no, 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 no. That was changed later. We don't do that anymore. And the the fundamentalist Mormons are saying, no, that's the way it was originally written by Joseph Smith. We're faithful to the faith. You guys are the liberals. And so you don't practice polygamy. We do. And that you will see that in other in other groups. So it's just who's committed to what their uh, original documents say. And we as Christians are committed to what the Bible says. Uh, we're not always committed to what they would say we believe because they would go to extremes and say silly things that Christians really don't believe. But they're trying to, uh, you know, smear our, our, our testimony and our name by attributing you know stupidity to us which is not is not the case so. 
Okay, well, let, let me, uh, in the closing here, just uh, do a little word, not word association, I guess a little like short answer period here, um, and just ask you about certain figures and whether or not they would be theological or biblical fundamentalists, just so people have a concrete image in their mind of what that is. So John MacArthur, fundamentalist? Yeah, biblical fundamentalist, okay. yeah. R.C. Sproul? Biblical fundamentalist. Now, he would be uh, when you get to his eschatology, he was his preterism kind of he was a semi-preterist, so it pushes it close. Um, because when you get to full preterism, I think that's outside of orthodoxy. And I'm gonna probably get some hate for that, but that's true. Preterism okay. has never been accepted by the Orthodox Church as being historical Christianity. He was close, but I think he was still I and everything else in the testimony of his life and teaching, I think, put him right where we are. So, so Gary DeMar then to pick someone who's a full preterist would be outside then. He's he wouldn't be fundamentalist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and he wouldn't only not be fundamentalist. When I'm saying fundamentalist, I'm also saying Christian. Right. Because I think everybody that is let me let me stop and define something real quick. Sure. When I say fundamentalist, that's a different person than necessarily a person that is completely orthodox in the faith. Okay. You can believe all the right things and be a Christian and not be a fundamentalist because the difference between that person, like an evangelical, a true evangelical, and a fundamentalist would be a fundamentalist is willing to separate from somebody that is not of the faith, that is apostate. I see. Evangelicals are not always willing to do that. So if you look at the record of MacArthur and if you look at the record of Sproul, they separated from those that they believed were no longer in the faith and they called it out, whether it was in inerrancy or whether it was in something else. So I think Sproul still would be considered a biblical fundamentalist in the sense of he held to those fundamentals of the faith. And I believe he would separate from anybody. And I think at times he did. But um, that doesn't mean that if they weren't a fundamentalist, that they aren't a Christian. You brought up the name Russell Russell Moore earlier. Yeah. I would yep. say not a fundamentalist. I'm not saying he's not a Christian, but I, I am saying he's not a fundamentalist. What about someone like a um, Chuck Colson who who had like evangelicals, Catholics together and stuff? Not yeah. a fundamentalist? No, not a fundamentalist. Okay. No. So, so no, this is helpful. See, yeah, I think you see that in the interactions that were had by those that approached um, Colson and and besought him to change his views because he was so helpful in evangelicalism. And yet there was these compromises that would pop up every once in a while, particularly in his views about Roman Catholicism. And I believe his wife was Roman Catholic. And I think there's some internal yeah. struggles that were going on. Uh, and so you, you've got that. And in the end, I think that some of the documents that he uh, penned and some of the the uh, things that the programs and the the things that he did caused greater harm and greater confusion to Christianity and fundamentalists would reject that at the very beginning that they don't sit down with apostates or false uh, churches like the Roman Catholic Church and say we we want to get along we want to work together our statement at IFC specifically names that we reject ecumenism, we reject the World Council of Churches, and we reject all these uh, ecumenical uh, movements and uh, groups because that's what it leads to. It leads to compromise uh, on the fundamentals, that people just want to get along, and we just kind of push Jesus behind us when we're embarrassed of him, and fundamentalists mm -hmm. never do that. No, yeah. you can be a co-belligerent on an issue like abortion with Catholics, right? That's okay. You just can't treat them like they're Christians, I guess. Is that fair? Yeah, and I think I think those get down to some practical issues that are, okay. are the conscience. You know, if I'm in a church, like in California when I was pastoring a church, a lot of people were Roman Catholic. Now you start working together with Roman Catholic anti-abortion works. It brings a lot of confusion in to my brothers and sisters there that came out of the Roman Catholic Church. And I want to blur lines for them. And so more than likely for me in California, in the setting I was in, I would have said, we can do uh, pro-life stuff, but we're not going to do it with the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, and okay. I would lean far more heavily towards that in other areas as well, working in cooperation with non-Christian groups. And I would, I would lump Roman Catholicism in as a non-Christian group, uh, Mormonism as well. They have those same uh, ideas. Doesn't mean we don't do it. We just want to do it together because I don't want to cause confusion on mm -hmm. our part to our people. And I don't want to give legitimacy to their side saying, see, we're all the same. We work together with the local 
Christian church because we're not the same. And so I don't want to blur those lines in the minds of people. Fundamentalism is very much more cautious about that. Evangelicalism just says, hey, we all fly under the banner of Christ. We're all, you know, we're different communions, but that's okay because we're all the same. And when they do that, they're not very careful about how they do it. You just look at a look at right. a Barna survey and you find out the, the lowest common denominator for what a Christian is, is shocking. Uh, because you got to wonder how many of the people actually are Christians that are uh, coming out in a Barna survey. I, yeah. I don't think many of them are. Yeah, yeah. I, well, it doesn't seem that way. You, you get the impression after reading those that a, a very small minority of people in this right. country are actually Bible-believing Christians. Uh, and yeah. But the cultural Christian, you know, there's more cultural Christians who just have kind right. of adopted what they've been handed. But um, right. no, that's good. All right, all right. So last last figure I want to mention, this is a harder one, but, um, you know, I know I have people who listen, who appreciate uh, this podcast, and I appreciate them who are from the Calvary Chapel movement. What about Chuck Smith? Where would he land? Is he a fundamentalist, even though, like, you know, different style and, and all that? But yeah, I, I would say Calvary Chapels in general and uh, Chuck Smith himself were fundamentalists. Really? I think okay. that, yeah, yeah, because of their, their uh, ferocious dedication to the fundamentals of the faith. They, they didn't veer from that. Chuck Smith didn't veer for that from that. Uh, their churches in general, and I don't, of course, know all of them, but just the, the tenor of their church across the board, they don't veer from that. They're unwilling to do that. And, you know, there's a lot of things I would say I don't agree with them, but I wouldn't say that they're not fundamentals, and they do separate. And I think that part of Chuck Smith's background was that he came out of a, a Pentecostal uh, denomination. And I think that... Old Pentecostalism is very much fundamentalist. It's very much fundamentalist. It sticks to the fundamentals of the faith and it will not deny it. Now, there's things that can be talked about that within that. Um, but I think at the same time, that influenced Chuck and that influence from Chuck passed on to Calvary Chapel. Now, there are some within the Calvary Chapel movement that have become more neo-evangelical. So it just depends on the individuals because... Sometimes um, platform is much more important than faithfulness. And so you might have uh, specific Calvary Chapel uh, pastors as they've gotten bigger. They have been willing to broaden themselves in whatever, by whatever means possible. And so they, they start linking arms with all kinds of people that, you know, a fundamentalist would not do or would feel very uncomfortable doing. But I think as a, as a whole, the average pastor, the average uh, Calvary Chapel pastor and Chuck Smith himself, uh, you could put them into the category of fundamentalists. Now, biblical fundamentalists, yes. Um, the gotcha. I the IBF um, or uh, the, that group, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Because again, you've got the Hawaiian shirt and the all that. But <laughs> but he was right. he was very conservative. He was very conservative, and so that that follows along with this same idea doctrinally, very conservative. Yeah, yeah. All right. So this, this is the last question because it, it's it's coming up in the chat. So I have to put it up here, uh, and and I, I suspect this will be in the comments too. No, so cultural engagement is frankly hamstrung unless they create their own activity, which doesn't often happen. And I think what this is getting at is, um, if you don't, because Christians are such a small minority in some places, and uh, the true Christians, and because we could maybe find broader political support for certain things that are interest us, why not? be a co-belligerent partner in some way with other groups who might share those similar interests. So, so I, I suppose the question would be framed this way. Is it possible, even if it's not prudent in certain situations, is it theoretically possible, at least in some to, to partner in some way with groups that aren't Christians in order to get something righteous done? Um, maybe that could be you have a pro-life gathering and you just invite the community to come and, Hey, Roman Catholics show up, Mormons show up. We're all the, the focus though is the pro-life. It's not the theology. So, so, so can you maintain those lines, those doctrinal lines while doing, is that possible? Yeah, I think there, there are certain situations where that would be possible. Um, I think that also, uh, points to the need for associations uh, the General Association of Regular Baptists, uh, IBF, um, IFCA. There's different associations that are churches that are gathering together to uh, work together with one another. In IFCA, we have very large organizations that are member organizations. So 
they annually sign a document that says this is a, we are in complete agreement with the IFC's doctrinal statement. And so, so biblical ministries worldwide sends out workers all over the world. They do uh, medical missions and relief all over the world. They helicoptered in from Afghanistan, all kinds of people when the issues were going on. Slavic Gospel Association, SGA, is an IFCA member organization doing massive work in Ukraine as well as other places in Soviet Union, set up all kinds of seminaries and trained pastors all over the Soviet bloc were in there as soon as the wall came down because of all the connections that they had. And John MacArthur got the MacArthur Study Bible in because when MacArthur was a member of the IFCA, he worked with Slavic Gospel Association and that was taken in immediately. And so there is a lot of things where we, yes, we aren't hamstrung, but we are also judicious. We're also not just, see, evangelicalism just looks at the end goal. It, it says it doesn't matter as long as we get there. And so the, the justification for compromise always is, well, we want to get there. And that's what led Fuller to its path where it's ended up today is, well, can't we just still partner with these others that are compromisers in these certain things? And so we, we have to be careful. I think that's the, the lesson for us all. So we have to be very careful because you don't always see the slippery slope from the beginning. Sometimes we just think that the uh, ends justify the means and we're going to go ahead and do it the way we want to do it because we will get farther along than if we didn't. I, see. Yeah, was, so it, 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 I think that was Chuck Colson's. Yeah, I think that was Chuck Colson's uh, mentality as well. Yeah, you know, it, 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 if we can get posture. evangelicals and Catholics, yeah. It, it, but what I what I'm hearing you saying, and I, I want to just draw the line for people because I I suspect yeah. this is going to be this is we talk about a lot of political things on this podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. you're talking about a posture here of uh caution, really. You're yeah. saying that there's pitfalls, there's dangers. You're you're not saying it's wrong in and of itself. Like like you can find a Bible verse that says you can never you know, vote for a Catholic or you can never partner, uh, to, you, you can't work, like, you can't have a secular job, let's say, and work with people of other religions. You're not drawing these lines. You're saying right. that, look, you just have to be careful. The further, the closer you get to these people and the, the more you treat them like, um, almost like brothers or like, like you have so much in common because of these important issues, there's a history of people then, watering down the faith and leaving the faith or, or, or compromising that is that fair yeah i think so i think okay. when, when if we were to look at the scriptures we would say the scriptures warn us about being unequally yoked so how you know a yoke is going to tie two individuals two organizations two churches together how closely are we going to yoke ourselves to that and what is the commitment that's going to be required of us and so when we when we get into partnerships, we have partnerships with non-IFC organizations. When we get into partnerships with them, we recognize they be maybe very much more broad than we are. But because they are doing whatever, maybe they're an educational institution, we'd say we understand that your constituency is much broader than we are. But we want to make sure on these things that you are being faithful and that all of those other connections will not cause compromise on your side because we don't want to be involved in it. So one uh, seminary might be a good fit for us, even if they're not a member, and even if they have um, constituents within them that are different than us doctrinally. But their doctrinal statement themselves is right in alignment with us. There may be another seminary that they're very, very different in their outlook on how they deal with other people, and they're compromising constantly so that they can have high enrollment. We would look right. at that and say, I don't think that's smart because they're going to do something or they're going to say something or they're going to act some way that's going to bring reproach to the name of Christ. And we don't want our name connected with them. And I think that's the, what we want to do with uh, even as individuals in Christ They say, I, I don't want to. I mean, I, I don't have a problem witnessing to this person at work. I don't have a problem talking about the pro-life movement if they happen to be pro-life because maybe they're a really strong conservative. But you know, they're homosexual, but they're, but they're, and they're not a Christian. I don't have a problem working with them, talking with them, dealing with it, hashing these things out. 
but I'm not going to yoke myself together with them in in maybe some suggested that we would do something or or uh, cooperate in some way. So there is different scenarios that we have to think through this process and say, am I am I connecting myself with this uh, individual, this group, this uh, church, whatever it is, and say, how far can we cooperate? And it's not see the legalist always wants to say yes, no, <laughs> right. absolute. Draw right. a fence, draw a line, but discernment is part of what we're taught in Scripture. That's good. That's good. And so we have to discern. We have to say, well, what's the situation? Who's the leadership? What, what's going to be happening? Are they going to be parading? You know, I remember John MacArthur was asked uh, asked one of his uh, his elders meetings about going to um, have some meetings with Mormons in Salt Lake City. He wanted to do it. He wanted to just preach. He went, they invited him to come and speak. He said, they're going to invite me to speak. The elders came back and said, we're a little bit concerned about what they're going to do with John MacArthur showing up in Salt Lake City. They're going to wave that flag all over the place and say, see, we're evangelicals. John MacArthur doesn't have a problem with us. Hmm. He, he saw that, but he also was willing to uh, concede to his elders it wasn't good timing or wasn't right. He didn't do it. I think later on he might have done something, but there may have been factors that changed in that. So we have to be discerning. Um, and not just automatically say no, but not just automatically say yes, because ends justify means. I think we need to be yeah. willing to think through what is this going to do? What's the end result? How will that affect the cause of Christ? Because I don't want to, uh, I don't, that's the end result. I don't yeah. want to bring shame and reproach on the name of Christ. Um, yeah. And, and there's also a difference. I was just thinking about this because we had the the vax thing and New York was crazy. New York said yeah. no religious yeah. exemption. You're fired. Um, yeah. and there was these protests that happened. They didn't really do anything, but people tried to right. say, Hey, can, can we, uh, have a religious exemption? And, um, the church that I attend, you know, they did not endorse it like as an institution, like, Oh, you know, mm -hmm. grace Bible is behind this. Um, but I would have to say that individuals in the church, because this was such a big issue, you, you could say that the church was generally supportive, just not officially because so many individuals mm -hmm. were part of that. And um, and of course, when you get to these rallies, I mean, there's a lot of political conservatives or even just you know moderates who are not religious in the least. Or uh, it, it, one of them, I think, had a Wiccan person there, which it's like, you know, that was shocking. But you know, yeah. the, they were there for one purpose, though, which is to say, we don't want this mandate. And um, and that to, to me, I just see that as so different, though, than the church officially endorsing it yeah. versus Christian individuals saying, I'm going to go as a citizen and be part of this. And, and so there, it doesn't mean you can't have participation is what I'm saying with Christians right. in some of these things. The, the separation is trying to say, well, we don't want the church's name to be, we, we don't want to give the impression that everything that happens here, we're endorsing or that this is in keeping yeah. with our doctrine or something. So, yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I think you're right. Is that there's an individual conscience and we have the freedom and liberty as Christians to make decisions on what our involvement is going to be. And then we have uh, what the church actually should be. You know, there, there's been a lot of issues that have come up. And if we don't have that clarity in our heart about this is this is something I don't need to drag the whole church into. I can make this decision to go get involved myself versus, uh, you know, as an individual, I'm not I'm not comfortable with this. So I think we need to think through that. Is it the church's responsibility to get engaged in this or not? I don't think that the church's primary objective is to have all these social services that right. take its focus off of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and doing what Christ has called us to. It doesn't mean that we can't do that. But I think that also gets back to our individual Christians saying, we want to take care of the people that are in need, right. not throw it on the back of the deacons and elders and say, that's their job. Uh, and our church is doing that. And so yeah. I, I think that that goes back to what you just said is we can be involved, but we don't need to tangle everything up into some of these things. Um, and of course, we don't want to be a hypocrite and say, well, our church won't officially do this, but individually we'll do this because that that could come uh, away as something that we might be endorsing when we're not saying that either is, you know, we won't get involved in this ecumenical event as a church, but individually, if you all want to go over there and uh, be involved, that's okay. Because that's no different, I think. I think that we need to make sure that we're we're 
holding holding consistently. There's conscience issues, and then there are biblical doctrine issues. Sure. And we have to make sure that we're not blurring that line either. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Um, well, I, we've been going for over an hour, and I appreciate you. That that's a lot of time to give to uh, <laughs> uh, for an interview. Um, there's still questions coming in, but we just don't have time, guys. So. Anyway, uh, people want to contact you. I'm assuming they can go to the IFCA is it .org, I think, and find you. IFCA.org, right? yep, yep. And, and you're, they can email uh, Dr. Richard Vargas there. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, check out the conference. Go to IFCA.org. And if you're in the area uh, and want to go, then it, registration's open. All right. Well, God bless. And uh, best. Right. Thanks, John. I was about to say best of luck. That's not Christian, though. So <laughs> best of providence to you uh, yes. with the, the conference. God bless. Yeah. All right. Thanks, John. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.